السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد و نسلی علی رسول کریم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم رب اشرح لي صدری و یسر لي امری واحلل عقدتا من لسانی یفقه قولی ربنا زدنا علما Before we begin the lesson I just like to thank all of you who came yesterday for the takmil Alhamdulillah those of you who came I was very happy to see you I almost felt as though my family was here Alhamdulillah, I could see some of you in the crowd, all the way at the back or some to, on the side, those of you who were here. And those of you who weren't, I would like you to come, inshallah, sometime. Inshallah, even if it's for sometime, inshallah. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim, bismillahir rahmanir rahim. The last hadith that we studied was hadith number 110, in which we learned that, تَسَمَّوا بِاسْمِي وَلَا تَكْتَنُوا بِكُنْيَتِي وَمَنْ رَآنِي فِي الْمَنَامِ فَقَدْ رَآنِي فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَا يَتَمَثَّلُ فِي صُورَتِي وَمَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ مُتَعَمِّدًا فَلْيَتَبَوَّأْ مَقَعْدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ With regards to seeing the Prophet ﷺ in one's dream, actually before that, I asked you to find out if there was any companion whose name was also Muhammad. Did you check? Is it not interesting, not worth it? Yes. Muhammad ibn Maslama, Al-Ansari. His name was also Muhammad. And he is one of those companions who was sent in order to kill the Jewish leader who was in Medina. So he went in the night with a few of his companions and they're the ones who attacked him and killed him. So anyway, Muhammad ibn Maslama, he was one of the companions who had the same name as Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The part of the hadith which says, وَمَنْ رَآنِي فِي الْمَنَامِ فَقَدْ رَآنِي فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَا يَتَمَثَّلُ فِي صُورَتِي This tells us that if a person sees the Prophet ﷺ in a dream, then that dream has to be true. If a person sees him in a dream, then definitely that dream is true, meaning it is not from shaitan. Remember, we learned in Surah Yusuf that there are three types of dreams. So it's not a false dream. This is definitely a true dream. But what does it mean by this? That a person thinks he saw the Prophet ﷺ or he saw somebody who was telling him something and he assumed that it was him, so it was definitely him. What's the condition that that is definitely a true dream? That what you see must meet the description that we learn about the Prophet ﷺ. That's one condition. And the second condition is that what a person sees should not be against the sharia. Meaning, he doesn't see the Prophet ﷺ doing something or saying something that would contradict the sharia. These are the two conditions. Just recently somebody came and asked me that they met a lady who's very active in, you can say in practicing a particular bid'ah. And she said that I'm very firm on this because I saw in my dream the Prophet ﷺ put his hand on my head and he said what you are doing is right. So since then I've become very sure that what I'm doing is right. And she is very confident about what she's doing. So, I mean, if you hear something like that, what would you say? That it's not true. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ would never ever touch a woman. Isn't it so? Even when he took the bayah from the women, how did he take it? With his hands? Never. He never touched a, a non-mahram woman. So if a person says, I saw the Prophet ﷺ doing this and it's against the sharia, or saying something which is against the sharia, then is it correct? It's not the right type of dream. Rather, it is shaitan. Yeah, if if you feel that it's a, it's a meaningful uh, dream and you would like to know what its interpretation is, then you ask the people of knowledge about it. So that's the condition. These are the two conditions that must be met. And we learn that once Kulayb, uh, he reported that once he told Ibn Abbas anhu that he had seen the Prophet ﷺ in a dream. And Ibn Abbas anhu asked him to describe 
who he saw. And when he gave the description and he said that he looked like Hassan ibn Ali, the grandson of the Prophet ﷺ, he said that yes, you saw the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because his grandson resembled him a lot. In another hadith, we also learned that Yazid al-Farisi, he said that he saw the Prophet ﷺ in a dream and he asked Ibn Abbas عنه, about it. And Ibn Abbas said that the Prophet ﷺ used to say, Shaytan is unable to imitate my form, so whoever dreamt that they saw me actually saw me. And Ibn Abbas said, can you describe that person you saw? So Yazid replied, yes, I saw a man of medium height, of light brown hair, with a nice laugh, black eyes, a nicely rounded face, his beard filled from here to here, meaning from one cheek to the other, and it almost filled his neck. So at this point, Ibn Abbas, he said that if you saw him while you were awake, you wouldn't have been able to describe him better. Meaning you definitely saw the Prophet ﷺ in your dream. Some scholars have also said that because the Prophet ﷺ said this statement to the companions, so this was only in the case of the companions, that if they saw the Prophet ﷺ in the dream, then it was definitely a true dream. But if anybody other than the companion sees the Prophet ﷺ, since they haven't seen him in real life, they don't know about his real uh, descriptions, right? How he was like physically. So anyone else other than the Sahaba, some scholars say that if they claim they saw the Prophet ﷺ in the dream, then it is not correct. But other scholars say that no, since we do have the description of the Prophet ﷺ from different ahadiths, we find out about it. So if a person sees someone like that, then inshallah it is true. And also remember that just because a person sees the Prophet ﷺ in a dream that he has seen, it doesn't mean that he is very righteous or he is very good, or that he is perfectly fine. No, it's not necessary. Because we see that in real life, there were those people who rejected him, who saw him. But did that make them any righteous? Abu Jahl saw the Prophet ﷺ, didn't he? He heard him. I'm sure he touched him as well at some point or the other. But was he considered virtuous just because of seeing him in real life? No. So it's not just about seeing the Prophet ﷺ in a dream. The point is that we must have love for Rasulullah in our hearts and we should love, we should hope that we see him in the hereafter. This should be our ultimate desire. Because unfortunately amongst many people from the Muslim Ummah, their goal is to see the Prophet ﷺ in a dream. And I was amazed, today I was doing a little bit of research and people have actually devised some ways that you do such and such and then you will see him in your dream. Perform the prayer and read Surah Al-Ikhlas 25 times, 50 times after Surah Al-Fatiha in every rakah. And afterwards you say Durud Sharif like 50,000 times or Allahu Alam how many times. And then when you sleep, you will see him in your dream. You know how people perform magic? They do so many things and then eventually the jinn will appear. It doesn't make any sense at all. So our desire should be to see the Prophet ﷺ in the hereafter and that our hearts be filled with love for him. Because we learn in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَن يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ That whoever obeys Allah in the Messenger, then such people will be with who? Those whom Allah has blessed, those whom Allah has gifted. And who are they? مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا So whoever obeys the Prophet ﷺ, then you will be in his company in the hereafter. Remember the hadith in which a companion, he was serving the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet asked him that, what do you want? Ask me. So he said, I would like to be with you in the hereafter. So he said, then you have to help me with increase in sujood. So you have to pray more, you have to do something yourself so that you can be with me in the hereafter. 
So this is a very important point that must be clear to us because unfortunately there are a lot of things out there, especially within the Muslims and many incorrect beliefs and a lot of the acts of bid'ah, a lot of innovations, they are based on what? What people saw in dreams. They say that I saw in my dream the Prophet told me to do this so therefore I am doing that. Remember, a dream cannot add to the Sharia because the Sharia is complete. And if a person says that I saw this in my dream, he was telling me to do this, then you're saying that what the Prophet brought in his life was incomplete. What Allah revealed upon him was incomplete. And that is not so. So whatever a person sees in his dream should not be against the Sharia, should not add to the Sharia. And if a person sees the Prophet ﷺ in his dream, then he must meet the description that we learn about. Let's continue. Bab kitabatil ilmi. Kitaba, writing. Al-ilmi, of knowledge. Kitabatil ilm, writing down knowledge. One way of preserving knowledge is in one's memory. But if a person has memorized something, then where is it stored? In his mind, in his head. Who can benefit from it? Only that person himself. And what you store in your mind, can it get lost in your mind somewhere? Yes. Many times you learn about different things and over time, you forget. Or what you learned so well, gradually what happens? You cannot remember it as well later on. But if a person writes something down in addition to memorizing, I'm not saying only rely on writing and don't bother memorizing at all. No, in addition to writing, then what's the benefit? A person can always go back to it. He can always revise it. If he's forgotten, if he's unsure, he can always check again. And he can benefit from it. And along with him, besides him, after him, many other people can also benefit from it. And this is why we see that even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, he encouraged that his statements be written. Initially he forbade and then eventually he allowed the companions that they should write it down. We learned that once the Prophet ﷺ instructed his companions that اُكْتُبُوا Abu Shah, Abu Shah, the man who came, inshallah we learn about that hadith today, that write for him. Similarly we learned that Abu Hurairah he said that Abdullah ibn Umar, he used to write the hadith. So Abu Raira was afraid that he will remember more than me or he will collect more than me. So he used to write the hadith. Similarly, we learn that the Prophet ﷺ said, Uktubu anni fa inni la aqulu illa haqqa. That write whatever I say because I do not say that which except what is true. Fa inni la aqulu illa haqqan. Now you might say that obviously this happened at the time of the Prophet ﷺ as well. So why is it such a big deal? Why is Imam Bukhari trying to prove this? Hmm? The thing is that it was the way of Imam Bukhari that anything that was controversial, hmm, about which there was you know, some difference, even if it was a long time ago, Imam Bukhari would always write about it and he would try to prove it or disprove it through hadith. So it was controversial amongst the people of the early generations, whether it was correct to write or not. So Imam Bukhari is proving over here that it is perfectly fine. حدثنا محمد بن سلام قال أخبرنا وكيع عن سفيان عن مطرف. Have you heard of this name? مطرف. No? Can I give you a little bit of homework? Just type out his name on Google and see what you find. He's one of the great scholars of Islam. And we learned in one of the Al-Maghrib courses, they actually taught about him as well. Hmm? So anyway, 
عن مطرف عن الشعبي عن أبي جحيفة قال هيسات قلت لعلي أبو جحيفة هيسات رأيسات تو علي رضي الله عنه هل عندكم كتاب Do you have some book? Do you have some book? Meaning some book in which you've written something? قال لا He said no I don't have any book إلا except كتاب الله The book of Allah The only book I have is the book of Allah That's what I refer to That's what I read That's what I follow أو or فهم Understanding Comprehension أعطيه He is given it Comprehension That is given to who? Rajulun Muslimun A Muslim man A Muslim person I have the book of Allah And I have some understanding That Allah would give to A believing person أو or ما what في هذه الصحيفة What is in this booklet? In addition to that, I also have what is written in this booklet. قال, he said, who? Abu Juhayfa. That قلت, I said to who? Ali رضي الله عنه. فما, so what is? في هذه الصحيفة. So what is in this booklet? قال, he said, العقل وفكاك الأسير. What does عقل mean? Intellect? What does عقل mean? What do you know the word عقل to be? Intellect, right? Okay. But aql does not only mean intellect. It also means blood money. Blood money that is given to the family of the person who has been killed. By who? By who? By the qatil. So in this booklet is aql, meaning the rules regarding blood money. وَفَكَاكُ asir. Fakak, freeing. Freeing who? Al-Asir, the prisoners. So some rules regarding the freeing of prisoners. Wala and not, meaning and also in this booklet is written about that la yuqtalu, he will not be killed. Who will not be killed? Muslimun, a Muslim. For who? Bikafirin, for a kafir. So these are some laws that I have written in this booklet. What do we learn in this hadith? That Ali radiallahu anhu had some ilm written where in a sahifa. So this shows to us that kitabatul ilm, writing knowledge, is perfectly fine. We see in this hadith that Abu Juhayfa asked Ali radiallahu anhu if he had a book. Why did Abu Juhayfa ask Ali radiallahu anhu about a book? We learned that there's a group, a sect, that came about earlier on, and they're known as the Rafidah. Rafidah. Ra, alif, fa, dad, tamabuta. The Rafidah, they claimed many wrong things about the Ahlul Bayt, the family of the Prophet ﷺ. They were, you can say, too much in love with them and they claimed many things, they fabricated many things in their praise to show their superiority. So one of the things that they claimed was that the Ahlul Bayt, they have a separate Mus'haf, which is only for them. And they called it the Mus'haf of Fatima. That the Prophet ﷺ gave a separate mushaf to who? To Fatima radiallahu anha. And this was only for the Alul Bayt. It's not for the common people, it's only for the Alul Bayt, the family of the Prophet ﷺ. So they claimed that this was the mushaf that they had. But this is a completely false claim. Why? Because whatever the Prophet ﷺ was given, he conveyed it. We learn from so many ahadith that at Hajjatul Wada'at, the Prophet ﷺ asked the people, have I not conveyed? And they said, of course you have. 
And if the family of the Prophet ﷺ would conceal part of knowledge, then that would be a sin, that would be a great crime, that would be injustice on their part. Because we know that kitmanul ilm is something that is completely prohibited. So it is unthinkable that his own family would conceal knowledge. And we see that it is quite clear from this hadith that the family of the Prophet ﷺ did not have any separate mushaf of their own. Because we see over here that Abu Jahaifa, he went to Ali radiallahu anhu and he asked him, هَلْ عِنْدَكُمْ كِتَابٌ Do you have any other book, any separate book that is exclusively for you? So what did he say? قَالَ لَا All that I have is Kitab Allah, the book of Allah, that is accessible to every believer. Just as you have the book of Allah, I have that book of Allah as well. Just as you read the Qur'an, I read the same Qur'an. So Kitab Allah, that is what I have. Awfahmun or some understanding, comprehension that is given to who? A believing man. By who? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in other words, in addition to the knowledge of the book of Allah, I also have some understanding of the deen, understanding of the book of Allah. And we see that people, they vary a lot when it comes to understanding the book of Allah. All people are not at the same level. The way one person understands an ayah, it's not necessary that the other person understands it in the same way. One person could derive only one or two lessons maximum from one verse, and there could be another person who's deriving one lesson after the other from the same verse. Doesn't it happen sometimes? That you read a verse and you see it and you understand it, yeah, it makes sense to you. But then, for example, you listen to a tafsir and like, wow, you even learned this from that? Or you read a book of hadith and you're amazed, you can even derive this lesson from this ayah? So, People, they vary a lot when it comes to understanding the book of Allah. Ali radiallahu anhu, he was given fahm of the deen, especially of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he embraced Islam very early on. And he also lived very close to the Prophet sallallahu Obviously he was his son-in-law. And he lived through you know, all of his life. And he lived through uh, the life of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Umar radiallahu anhu, Uthman radiallahu anhu. So he definitely saw a lot, experienced a lot, learned a lot. So you can imagine what kind of knowledge and understanding he must possess. So he said that nothing extraordinary, what I have is fahmun u'tiyahu rajulun muslim. Auma fi hadhi sahifa. Or what is in this sahifa, what is in this booklet. In addition to this, I also have what is written in this booklet. So he was asked what is in this booklet, he was told that Abu Jahifa was told by Ali radiallahu anhu three things. First of all, al-aql. What does aql mean? I mentioned to you earlier that it refers to the diya, the blood money. Question is, why is diya called aql? What does aqala literally mean? Literal meaning of the word aqala. Yes. I'qal wa tawakkal. Remember? Tie your camel. So it means to tie two things together. Now, when in Arabia, when people would bring blood money to the house of the victim, to the house of the person who was killed, how would they bring it? In the form of camels. And it wouldn't be just one camel, it would be many camels. Now you imagine you're bringing a whole lot of camels, how would you bring them? Tied up. And all the camels were tied one with the other, and there would be the iqal. Okay, the iqal, meaning the rope, the rope that was used to tie the camels, that would be handed over to the family of the victim. So from this, diya is also called aql. So the rules pertaining diya, they are written in this booklet. Secondly, fikakul asir, that freeing of the prisoners. Which prisoners? Especially those who are Muslim. Meaning if there are some Muslims who have been taken as prisoners by the disbelievers, 
then what are the rules pertaining to that? Are we supposed to free them? How are we supposed to free them? And we learned that it is mandatory, it is wajib on the Muslims to free them, to ransom them, to pay the money and free them. And it is said that even if it requires giving the zakat, even zakat can be used to free the captives. Even zakat can be used to free the Muslim captives. The third thing that was written in the Sahifah was what? That a Muslim will not be killed for a kafir. What does it mean? In qisas, in legal retribution. We know that in Islam, if a person kills another, then what's the punishment for the murder? One of the options is that he should be killed. Because he killed another person, so he will be killed. He deprived another of his life, so he will be deprived of his own life as well. But if a Muslim person kills a kafir, a Muslim kills a kafir, then will that Muslim be killed? No, he will not be killed. Why? Because a Muslim and a kafir are not equal. They are not equal. A Muslim's life is different from that of a kafir. And obviously this will be where? In a Muslim state. This will not happen in any other place. So for example, if a person, if a Muslim kills a non-Muslim, and if he's supposed to be killed for the crime that he committed, for instance in this country, will you say that, no, the thing is that the law of the land will happen, right? This is about a Muslim state. That in a Muslim state, if a Muslim kills a kafir, then he will not be killed. Okay? Some other punishment will be carried out on him. He will have to give the blood money or whatever, but he will not be killed. Because there is a difference between the, a Muslim and a non-Muslim. And obviously, in a Muslim state, it will be expected that Muslims are given preference over the rest of the people. Okay? Because it's a Muslim state. And the law will be that of Islam. The only book that we have been given is the Qur'an. And if people claim that there is another Mus'haf, there is another scripture that was given to only them and it is passed on you know, amongst them only, then this is a false statement. It has no basis to it whatsoever because Ali anhu himself said that he did not have any special book. Or they say that there is a special book that we follow. So there is nothing like that. All people are to follow the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we see in this hadith that even at, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, knowledge was written down. One more thing that I'd like you to notice over here is that Ali radiallahu anhu said, أَوْ فَهْمٌ أُعْطِيَهُ رَجُلٌ مُسْلِمٌ Understanding, comprehension that is given to a Muslim person. Question is, how do we develop fahm of the Qur'an? How should we do that? By reading it, by reflecting on the ayat. Jadallah Qurani, he's a Jewish kid. He used to live beside the Turkish uh, brother. And this kid, he used to go to the grocery of uh, the Turkish man and he get, every time he got grocery. So he used to steal every time chocolate whenever he go there. And the Ammi Ibrahim, he used to, you know, he didn't tell him why he taking it. He just, you know, let it go. So, at the, one day, the Jadallah, he forgot to steal chocolate. So what happened, Am Ibrahim, he called him, tell him he forgot to steal the chocolate. And then the kid, he's scared, like any kid, he's scared so much. And he afraid Am Ibrahim tell his mom. So he told him, I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to tell your mother or I'll tell police. Just don't worry. But promise me never you steal from me or from anybody. He said, I promise. So anyway, he came, this Jadallah, he became a friend of uh, Am Ibrahim. So every time he have a problem, he used to go to him. So he became a teenager and the uncle Ibrahim, he told him, okay, bring the Quran 
Sinadurij and open any page. So he opened any page, this uh, Jadallah, and Ibrahim, he recited the Quran, and he told him, this is your solution for a uh, problem. So he grew like that, this Jadallah. When he grew like that, Am Ibrahim, after a while, he died. Obviously, he's old man, and he died. And Jadallah, he have another problem. He where he go? So he he went to the family and they said our father is die and he left this book for you. So he couldn't read the Quran. He went to the f- friend, one of the friend Arabic guy, and, and then he read for him. He recite for him. He found solution in the Quran anyway. So he said, "How I become Muslim?" He said, "You just do the shahada." So anyway, the long story short, he become a Muslim. In in his hand, he went to Africa. Million of people became Muslim in Jadallah's hand and. After he died, his mother also became a Muslim. So this is from the Quran. Am Ibrahim, he take a, a lesson from Quran and he used to give it to somebody. Because of him, millions of people became Muslim. So this is the fahm. This is the key to helping oneself and helping other people. This is the key to doing da'wah. Unless and until a person understands the Quran, his knowledge of the deen is incomplete. It's one of the first steps. Many times it happens that when people start studying the deen, they start studying many things. And they think that studying the Qur'an is not as important. But it's necessary that the Qur'an is understood first and foremost. And one more thing, that how can we develop fahm of the Qur'an? The first thing is that reflect on the verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says that kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakun. Why? لِيَدَّبَّرُوا ayati. So first of all, you reflect yourself. Take time to reflect. Don't rush through the verses. And... It doesn't just mean that we, you know, sit in a tafsir class and over there we're reflecting. Even when you're reciting Quran yourself, that is the time of reflection. That is the time of, you know, taking lessons out for yourself, for your personal life. Don't limit reflection on the Quran to a tafsir class only. Because you cannot attend tafsir classes all the time. So you have to be able to continuously derive lessons from the Quran for yourself. So for that, you have to reflect on the Qur'an. Therefore, when you're reciting the Qur'an, don't just worry about completing the page, or completing the surah, or completing the juz, or whatever your target is, but take time to reflect on the verses. And whatever you don't understand yourself, then refer to different resources as well. But this fahm is necessary, because it's the key to all the knowledge of the deen. Let's continue. حدثنا أبو نعيم الفضل بن دكين قال حدثنا شيبان عن يحيى عن أبي سلمة عن أبي هريرة أن خزاعة أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه he narrated that خزاعة meaning the tribe of خزاعة one of them قتلوا they killed رجلا أمان they killed a man and this man was من بني ليثن from بنو ليث when did they kill him عام the year of فتح مكة the conquest of Makkah. So the same year when Makkah was conquered, a person from Khuzara killed another from Banu Lays. Why did they kill him? Biqatilin. For a qatil. Because of a qatil. Qatil fa'il. What is this? Ism sifa? Mushabbaha. And remember that fa'il gives a meaning of either fa'il or maf'ul. So over here qatil gives a meaning of maqtul. So they killed him. Because of a maqtul, meaning a person who was killed, minhum of them, qataluhu, they killed him. So in other words, they killed the person from Banu Lays in retaliation, in revenge. Because he had killed someone from the tribe of Khuzara. فَأُخْبِرَ 
So he was informed. Bidalika of that. Who was informed of it? An Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So when he found out, Farakiba. So he embarked. Rahilatahu. His Rahila. Rihla is journey. Okay, to travel. So Rahila, the means of traveling. His animal, his she camel. And he embarked his she camel and he went to the people. Fakhataba. So he addressed. Fakala. And then he said, Inna Allah, indeed Allah, habasa, habasa, habsun nafs. What does habasa mean to? Restrain. So he restrained an Makkah from Makkah. What? Al-Qatla, the killing. Allah restrained killing from Makkah, meaning he did not allow that any person be killed in Makkah. Awil fila or al-fil. What does fil mean? Elephant. Shakka, he was in doubt who? Abu Abdullah. Abu Abdullah, who is this? It refers to Imam Bukhari. So his student who's listening to this from him, Imam Bukhari was not sure, according to him, whether it was qatl or feel. And in another version of Sahih Bukhari, we learn that it is also said, Qala Abu Abdullah, meaning Imam Bukhari, he said, Kada Qala Abu Na'im. One of the narrators, this is what he said. So Imam Bukhari, he narrated the same confusion, meaning either it was qatl or feel. But we see that both meanings are relevant. Allah restrained the feel from Makkah, meaning He did not let the elephants come into Makkah. He did not let the sanctity of Makkah be violated. You understand? Allah did not allow people to kill one another. He restrained killing and He also restrained the elephants. So He did not allow the sanctity of Makkah to be violated, in other words. The word qatl and feel, aren't they written a very similar way? The difference is just of the dots. وَسَلَّطَ عَلَيْهِمْ Sallata And he imposed Alayhim upon them Meaning he gave victory Over Makkah To who? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Wal mu'mineen As well as the believers When? At the conquest of Makkah Allah Unquestionably Wa innaha And indeed it Lam tahilla It is not permissible Li ahadin For anyone Qabli before me Before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and nor is it permissible li ahadin for anyone ba'di after me. It was not permissible for anyone before me to fight in there, and it's not permissible for anyone after me to fight in there. Wa innaha and indeed it halat li. It was made permissible for me for how long? Sa'atan min for just an hour of the day. It was not made permissible for me forever to fight in there. No, it was only made permissible for some time. Allah. Unquestionably, وَإِنَّهَا And indeed it سَاعَتِي هَذِهِ This time, at this time, حَرَامٌ It is haram. Meaning at this time that I'm speaking, Makkah is again a sacred place. So it was only made halal for the Prophet ﷺ for just some time. So now that this is a place which has to be respected, then now what? لَا يُخْتَلَى شَوْكُهَا لَا يُخْتَلَى Khalwun. What does khalwun mean? To become empty. Khalayakhlu. So la yukhtala. It should not be uprooted. So that the place becomes empty. What should not be uprooted from it? Shaukuha. It's thorns. So even if there are some thorny plants in Makkah that grow by themselves, you're not allowed to uproot them. Wala yu'badu. And nor should it be cut. What should not be cut? Shadaruha. It's tree. So the trees of Makkah, they should not be cut. وَلَا أَنْ نُورَ تُلْتَقَطُ 
it be picked up. What? Saqitatuha. It's fallen object. So if anyone drops something in Makkah, are you allowed to pick it up? You're not allowed to pick it up. وَلَا تُلْتَقَطُ سَاقِطَتُهَا We learned about the لُقَطَة earlier. Okay? That if you find لُقَطَة anywhere else, if it's something very insignificant, can you pick it up? Can you pick it up? Yes, you can. If it's a pen, a small piece of paper, paper clip, can you pick it up? Of course you can. And if it's something big, then what do you do? If it can survive on its own, you don't pick it up. But if it's something that can get spoiled or it will get ruined, it will get destroyed, it will get harmed, then what do you do? You pick it up and you announce it for a year. Nobody claims it, you keep it. But if you find something like that in Makkah, whatever it is, you don't touch it. You don't touch it. وَلَا تُلْتَقَطُوا سَاقِطَتُهَا إِلَّا except لِمُنْشِدٍ For the munshid. Meaning only the munshid can pick it up. Who is munshid? Munshid is one who does nashada, anshada. Can you think of any other word from the same root? Nasheed. What does nasheed mean? To sing. So when a person sings, does everybody hear him? Yes. So munshid, okay, is one who is searching, one who is announcing. So this is the person who picks up something only to announce it so that it can be found by the owner. So for example, the caretakers of the haram, if they find some lost property, can they pick it up? Yes. Why? Because if somebody has lost their property, who will they go to? Them. They will go to them to claim for it, to ask for it. And if they do not find it, it's just sitting over there, you pass by, and you know that you're leaving tomorrow, you won't have the time to find an office where you can deposit it, then what do you do? Don't touch it, leave it. Why? Because the owner will come back for it. And if he doesn't, then the property that is in Makkah is also sacred, you cannot take it. But let's say you are there, and you do know where to give it, how you can find you know, the person who could possibly, who it could belong to, or for example, you know where the office is where you can give it, then what do you do? You can pick it up and give it over there. And also remember that times have changed now. Before when people would go, you know, they would go and stay there for several days. And there wouldn't be so many people. Now if you go, you know, it's quite possible your relatives are there at the same time, but you don't even come across one another. Why? Because there are so many people, so many doors. The masjid itself is so vast, and the hotels over there are so many. I mean, where can you find a person? How many times can you announce? Are you there for ibadah or are you there for announcing lost property? You can't do that. So therefore, وَلَا تُلْتَقَطُوا سَاقِطَتُهَا إِلَّا لِمُنْشِدْ فَمَنْ So whoever قُتِلَ He was killed. Now remember where the Prophet ﷺ is saying this. A man was killed. So he is saying that whoever is killed, فَهُوَ So he, بِخَيْرِ At خَيْر خَيْر What does it mean? Best, good. Any other word from the same root خَيَّرَ Choice. Very good. Ikhtara. So he is bikhayri al-nadharayni. Al-nadharayn, dual of nadhar. Nadhar doesn't just mean to look, to see. It has many meanings, depending on how the word nadhar is being used. Sometimes it is said fihi nadhar, meaning in this is an unsolved problem, meaning something that must be looked into, something that must be investigated, something that must be researched. So al-nadharayn over here means two rulings. So he has an option. He has the choice between two rulings. He can choose one of the two. One of the two commands. Imma either, an that yu'qala. 
What's the meaning of aql? The diya, right? The blood money. So, imma an yuqala, either he should be taken blood money for, meaning the person who has been killed, how will revenge be taken for him? That either the blood money is taken for him, wa imma and or, an that yuqada. Yuqada. What does this word mean? It gives a meaning of qisas. Okay? Inqiyad, from the same root. Inqiyad is to submit. So, yuqada, he should be handed over, meaning he will be taken qisas from, he will be killed. By who? Ahlul qatil, the family of the victim. فَجَاءَ رَجُلٌ So a man came مِنْ أَهْلِ الْيَمَنِ From the people of Yemen. فَقَالَ When the Prophet ﷺ said this, a man from the people of Yemen, he came. فَقَالَ So he said, اُكْتُبْ لِي Write for me this, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ O Messenger of Allah ﷺ I want this in written, please. فَقَالَ So the Prophet ﷺ instructed the companions, اُكْتُبُ Write it down, لِأَبِي فُلَانٍ For Abu Fulan. And from other ahadith we learned that his name was Abu Shah. فَقَالَ رَجُلٌ So a man said, مِنْ قُرَيْشٍ From the Quraysh. And who was this man? Abbas عنه, The uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, إِلَّا except الْإِذْخِرِ The Idhkhir plant. يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ O Messenger of Allah. He said, please exempt the Idhkhir plant that please allow us to use it. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that لَا يُخْتَلَ شَوْكُهَا وَلَا يُعْضَدُ شَجَرُهَا so he asked for an exception. He said, please, allow us to use the idhkhi grass. فَقَالَ رَجُلٌ مِنْ قُرَيْشٍ إِلَّا الْإِذْخِ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّا So indeed we نَجْعَلُهُ We use it, we put it, where? فِي بُيُوتِنَا In our houses, وَقُبُورِنَا And our graves. We put it in our houses when they would make houses, obviously of mud, they would mix that mud mixture with the grass, with the dry grass. Why? So that it wouldn't fall off easily. Okay? It wouldn't fall off easily. And we also use it where? Quburina, for our graves. To cover the dead. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ إِلَّا الْإِذْخِ Meaning, it's okay, you may use it whenever you wish. إِلَّا الْإِذْخِ قَالَ أَبُوْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ أَبُوْ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ said, Imam Bukhari meaning, he said, يُقَالُ يُقَادُ بِالْقَافِ He's explaining the word يُقَادُ that it is with the letter قَاف. فَقِيلَ it was said to Abu Abdullah, meaning Imam Bukhari, when he was relating this hadith, one of his students who was writing this down, who was studying this book from Imam Bukhari, he said that Imam Bukhari was asked, Ayu shay'in kataba lahu? Ayu shay'in which thing kataba lahu did he write for him? Meaning the Prophet ﷺ, what did he have written for that man? Qala, he said, kataba lahu hadhi al-khutbah. He wrote for him this khutbah, this address. Meaning the entire address the Prophet ﷺ gave was written for him. There are many lessons that we learn. First of all, the point of mentioning this hadith is to clarify that kitabatul ilm is completely permissible. This is something that is beneficial. The Prophet ﷺ allowed this even at his time. One of the lessons that we learn in this hadith is that Makkah is a sacred place and because of that, its plants, its trees may not be cut and its people may not be harmed. In another hadith we learn that people's lives, their properties, their honor, all of that is safe. And it is especially sacred in Makkah. But we learn in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said that if anyone is killed, and what he means by this is not any person who is killed anywhere, but if anyone is killed in Makkah. In the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever is killed, what he means is whoever is killed in Makkah. His life has been violated where? 
in Makkah, in a place where it should have been respected. So how will the criminal be dealt with? The Prophet ﷺ gave two options over here. The first one, that either the diya be given to the family, or secondly, that the qatil be killed. So from this, the scholars have said, that if a person commits a crime in Makkah, that requires punishment, such as qatl or qatr, that he should be killed or that his hand should be cut off or that he should be lashed, then that punishment will be given to him in Makkah. If a person commits a crime in Makkah, then he will be punished in Makkah. But if a person committed a crime outside of Makkah, ran to Makkah to be safe, will he be punished over there? No, he will not be punished over there. We learned, as I mentioned to you earlier, there will be total boycott against him so that he's forced to leave Makkah and then he'll be punished. But this hadith is telling us about those people who commit crimes in Makkah. So for example, if a person kills another, if a person commits theft, or if a person harasses someone, for example, a man harasses a woman, should he not be punished? Of course. I mean, Makkah, yes, people come there for worship, but all sorts of people come there. And we see, even today, how wrong things may happen. So if a person has committed a crime in Makkah, then he will be punished in Makkah. Another evidence for this is that we learn in the Qur'an, Allah says, وَلَا تُقَاتِلُوهُمْ عِنْدَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ حَتَّى يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ فِيهِ Don't fight them near the Masjid al-Haram, meaning in the Haram, until they fight you over there. So if they fight you over there, then you also fight them even in the Haram. فَإِنْ قَاتَلُوكُمْ فَاقْتُلُوهُمْ This part of the ayah specifically, that if they fight you, then what should you do? فَاقْتُلُوهُمْ Then kill them. So if a person commits such a crime in Makkah that is punishable, then the punishment will be given in Makkah. Why? For two reasons. First of all, he violated the sanctity of Makkah, so his sanctity will be violated in Makkah as well. And secondly, as an ibrah. Firstly, it shows that a person who disrespects the haram is not safe anywhere. He is not safe even in the haram itself. And secondly, as an ibra for who? For the rest of the people. Because imagine a person is punished in the haram. What a great lesson it would be for the rest of the people. I remember once we had gone for umrah and um, we prayed in the haram and on the way back I lost my sister, lost my brother in that huge rush. So I was on my way alone. And I was making my way into the hotel. There was a, a mall over there so you had to walk through the mall in order to get to the hotel. And as I'm entering, all of a sudden I hear these alarms bell, so much noise, and all of a sudden the doors opened and men are coming out. So many men were coming out. I just got freaked out, so I just stood to the side, didn't know what was happening. And then all of a sudden there was a huge circle that was made. A man was brought in, and another person came, and he had a big lash in his hand, and he just gave it to him. Ten or twenty. Right there and then. And then within minutes... The crowd, you know, dispersed and people went back in and I was in total shock. What happened? What happened over here? And as I was going in, there was a gentleman, I asked him that, do you know what happened? He said that that boy who was punished over there, he just harassed a girl in the mall. He harassed a girl. He was caught right there and then he was brought out and he was lashed, punished in front of everybody. So a person who does not have respect for the haram, he will not be shown respect to in the haram. He will be humiliated in front of everybody as well. And secondly, a huge ibrah for all people. For all people. 
that this is a very serious place. People come here for the worship of Allah. So no no crimes may be committed over here. No wrong things may be done over here. And if anyone does not respect the sanctity, then he will be punished. This is not just near the Masjid al-Haram, but the entire area of Haram. The entire area of Haram. So from where the Haram begins, if anyone commits a crime over there, then he will be punished within the Haram. Another important lesson that we learn in this hadith is that the trees, the plants of the Haram cannot be cut off. The hadith does not say that buildings may not be demolished or that mountains may not be cut or that rock may not be broken. No. What does the hadith tell us? That the trees may not be cut off. Many people, they object a lot against the expansion of the haram or the construction of the masjid or the construction of you know, the different buildings around the haram to make it convenient for the people who are coming for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there. And the evidence that they give the evidence that they give is what? That you can't even cut the trees of Haram. So how can you construct buildings and how can you cut these mountains and how can you do this? We learned that when it comes to expansion of the Kaaba, expansion of the Haram, building that masjid, this is not something that is new. It happened at the time of the Prophet ﷺ and it happened in the time of the companions as well. We learned that Umar anhu. He was the first one to have a wall built around the Karba. There was no wall around the Karba. Imagine people had houses over there and from their windows, from the doors they could see the Karba. So Umar anhu was the first one to have a wall built around the Karba. Why? Because people were building their houses too close to the Karba. And when there were hujjaj coming, people coming for Umrah, then what would happen? There would be less room for the people. Okay, so he put a border telling the people that you cannot come beyond this point. And in order to build that wall, obviously he had to empty out that place first, right? So he bought the houses and he demolished them. And then he built a wall around the Kaaba. At the time of Uthman, he bought even more houses that were around that wall, that were more expensive. He had them demolished and he had the wall farther away from the Kaaba in order to have the courtyard even bigger. And at the time of Abdullah ibn Zubair, when he was in Makkah, he improved the appearance of the masjid. Okay, so people say, how come there are marble floors and these expensive lights and air conditioning? I don't understand. Won't you like that in your own house? Then why do you have a problem if it's in the haram? Why? In fact, you should be happy that they are making that place so good that when people go for hajj, they go for umrah, they're doing tawaf, you know, they're worshipping Allah. It's so much convenient. You have cold water available, you have fans above your head, you have a canopy to cover you, you have cool floors that don't get hot even in that extremely hot sun. It's a huge blessing. This is not israf at all. So Abdullah ibn Zubayr, we learned that he had marble pillars added within the courtyard of the haram. And he also had some extra doors put in and he also had other improvements done. So this expansion of the masjid, reconstruction, renovation, improvement, there is nothing wrong with this. This happened even at that time. And alhamdulillah, if Allah has blessed us with more money, with more technology, then why not use it? Why not use it in the way of Allah? So there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. 
And then another thing that we learned in this hadith is that the lost things in Makkah will not be picked up except for those who will announce it. Why? Because in Makkah people are safe, their lives are safe, and their properties are also safe. So this is why you cannot just pick anything that you find in Makkah. And this hadith also shows to us that the idkhir grass of Makkah is allowed to be cut whenever, whoever, for whatever use that people had for it. Have you ever seen it? No? Okay, inshallah, I can show you a picture after some time. Inshallah, we'll conclude over here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.